Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to ESPN's NBA Media Conference Call. I am Shakima Simmons-Winter. I'm Senior Publicist for the NBA Property at ESPN. Today, we have NBA analyst Jalen Rose and Paul Pierce with us to discuss the 2019-20 NBA season restart. Jalen and Paul both regularly contribute to ESPN's NBA pregame show, NBA Countdown, and will be an integral part of ESPN and ABC's studio coverage throughout the season. Both analysts are part of the two-hour NBA Countdown NBA Restart Special this Saturday, July 25th, beginning at 8 p.m. on ABC to preview the NBA season restart and also discuss news from around the league since the March 11th suspension. ESPN opens up its game coverage from the ESPN Worldwide Sports Complex Friday, July 31st, televising eight games throughout the weekend. We'll have more information on that going out later this week. I will now turn it over for questions. We're going to start with Donald Hunt from the Philadelphia Tribune, followed by Anthony Chang from the Miami Herd. You guys are free to ask questions. Okay. Yes, this question is for uh, Jalen Rose. Jalen, what do you think of the Sixers making a run uh, in the restart, man? And uh, what are your thoughts on that? Hello? I'm here. Thank you very much. I'm sorry. I'm here. Thank you very much. I, um, we have strong favorites in the West with the Lakers and the Clippers and other squads that may have a puncher's chance, like the Houston Rockets or the Denver Nuggets, you never know, Portland Trailblazers. And the reason that they're so solid as championship-level favorites is because they have each of those teams have two legitimate all-NBA performers in LeBron, AD, as well as PG and Kawhi. And even though the Bucks have the number one overall seed in the NBA, if people are going to question whether they can win at all, it ain't about Giannis's greatness. It's about who's second and who's third. And so I see them potentially being vulnerable in the East to a couple of teams. And the Sixers are one of those teams because they have two perennial all-stars and Joel Embiid, one of the most talented players in the, in the league. And you know, Paul Pierce, I got to hear about his Kansas guy all of the time. And then Ben Simmons, <laughs> who I like that they taking the ball out of his hands at different points of the game. And Shake Milton is now a, a defender that can make threes. And Ben is about to be a slasher, a scorer and a finisher. So, with Ben and with Joel, uh, I, I anticipate Tobias is going to have a big playoff, and you can slide Al Horford into his normal role to supplement up front. I do see Philadelphia as a team that could potentially win the East, especially how they lost last year. They weren't really going to be judged by the regular season. Their seeding um, it doesn't equal their talent. I know they dealt with some injuries. They were going to be judged by the playoffs and how they lost last year seeing the images of MB crying and how Kawhi shot them down. So I do believe that they have a legitimate chance to win the East. Okay. 
right, thanks a lot. I appreciate it, man. Who they gonna go to then, down the stretch? <laughs> Come on, don't go to God. Come on now. Okay, I think Anthony that, might have dropped off. Oh no, I'm, I'm still here. But Paul, you you got okay. you want to comment? You can go ahead and comment, Paul. I mean, I'll, I'll take something from you as well, bro. From the Sixers, they regressed from a year ago, to be all honest. And you know, when we talk about close games with the lack of a go-to guy, what you need in this league to be a a contender to be a threat to be in the conference finals and, and be in the finals, you need that uh, guy. And I don't know who that guy is on the Sixers. It's usually coming from a, a premier perimeter player, and Ben Simmons is that, but he's not that offensive juggernaut that you need on the wing you know, to carry over the top in close games like they had at Jimmy Butler. So uh, I don't agree. And this is why the truth and I like the Celtics when healthy because, Paul, they that's got three my point. Yeah. Correct, because they, they have four of those guys. And this is what makes Milwaukee vulnerable, which makes this a conversation. If I was going to ask you that same question, Paul, who's the Bucks go to that? Well, it's got to be Giannis. I mean, it's just got to be. <laughs> Correct. I mean, you said a perimeter guy. You said you want that to be you. You, you, you like that to be a 6-7, six, 6-8 six, guy. Well, he played like yeah, a you just guy off forward who, who could get to the basket and find open guys, you know. Yeah, and man. from what I've been seeing, Jay is looking uh, legit right now. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Step back off the dribble. That's, he's going to be a problem. He's going to be a problem. Respectable right now. <laughs> yeah, he's going to be a problem. All right, so uh, no Jimmy Butler for the Sixers this year, so that, that makes them a little vulnerable from the perimeter, right, Paul? Remember this. Every championship team, you got to have that premier wing guy. Think about it. Over the last yep. 20 champions, I, I mean, you can go back 20 champions outside of the San Antonio Spurs, the one year where Tony Parker was the best player, and the one year Chauncey Billups. Outside of that, 90% of the, the best players were either Dollar was the, the MVP of the finals, a uh, perimeter guy, Durant, Kawhi, uh, LeBron, you know, Kobe, LeBron, you know, all wingmen. You got to have that premier wing guy, and they don't got Jordan it. and Pippen. Jordan and Pippen. The only other squad that was able to the only other squad that was able to do it was the Mavs with Dirk. Yeah, Mavs, the Mavs, yeah. right. Yeah. Okay. All right, brothers. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. Thank you. Next, we'll have Rory Carroll with Warders, and then Eric Wilder from Salt Lake Tribune on deck. Yeah. Um. Thanks. This is Rory from Warriors. Um. I'm just wondering. Do you think this format does it favor a team with the superstars? Or does it favor kind of that deeper team that um, could maybe withstand some injuries or anything as as this unfolds? I mean, every year you don't have a question of injury. And, and, you know, regardless of what happens with this coronavirus, where guys have to sit out. It's always, it's a factor every single year. And so, but the league at the end of the day is all about the superstars, man. You got to have... Yeah, superstars and ready to go if you got a chance to do anything. And if any, in 
any sport. You know, with fans, no fans, coaches, no coaches, it, it don't matter. You got to have the stars in place in, in order to get to where you need to go. So, you know, if you're referring to like the Bucks, they're deep as anybody, but you look blessed, so he's out with coronavirus. Who knows what's going how that's going to affect him? This coronavirus is going to play a factor, I believe, down the road. So we'll see. I think the healthiest team at the top is going to win it out between the Bucks, Lakers, the, uh, and Clippers. One of those, whoever's healthy by the end is the team that's going to win it all. Okay. And does it and feel more wide open in terms of who can win it? Is it kind of any team has a shot? Uh, as opposed to what it would be like under normal circumstances? No, not any team. That gets said. That gets said, but no. Paul just said it. All of the teams that win championships, especially multiple, they have all NBA Hall of Fame players on the team. If there is a season that somebody like a Denver could win it uh, and surprise people, Sure, I guess if, you know, injuries and or COVID-19 is a factor. But if the Clippers and the Lakers are healthy, that's the Western Conference final. If, 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 a, if a team upsets them, it's just because they didn't perform well. And in the East, I, I, to be honest, I'm, I feel like I want to root for Milwaukee because I don't want Giannis to leave. And I feel like if they lose in the first or the second round, I think he he could become potentially LeBron leaving Cleveland and KD leaving OKC um, versus being Patrick Mahomes and signing a big deal in the offseason because they just won it. That's great. Thanks very much. Okay. Eric Walden from Salt Lake Tribune is up with Sean Hewitt from the Denver Post on deck. Uh, Eric, are you there? Don't everybody talk at once. <laughs> okay, we're going to go to Sean. We're going to go to Sean Hewitt, and we'll come back to Eric. All right, great. Thanks, guys. It's like Jalen with a little nugget club. We love that. Appreciate the time. Hey, where where are you guys individually on the uh, the bull bull bandwagon uh, now that he's kind of the star of the day? And how do you think that works with somebody like uh, like Jokic in there with his skill set? <laughs> Look, I've been around too long, too too long to get hyped up a couple of highlights and, and one good game and one good scrimmage <laughs> practice. <laughs> I've been too long to to go off of that. I mean, yeah, he got tremendous potential, but, you know, it's just like summer league. How many guys we see get the summer league MVP? And then they you be like, oh wow, he's the next all star. He's oh he, man, he got a bright future. Then they just turn out to be average players. I mean, potential is there, and I like that. But I'm not one that's going to be all jumping out of my seat after I see one highlight and one. You know, I got to see this through the course of 82 games. I got to see this through the course of playing against, you know, 
all the competition. You know, right now, that's, that's a practice. I'm just seeing practice games out there. I'm getting my boy from down the street to have one good day. You know, it's a potential is there. I mean, he's got all the tools, but, you know, I, I don't look at that. I don't, I, you know, I need to be there measure his heart, his drive, his determination, his competitive spirit. I got to see all that in a player for me to be like, them is the things I really look at because I've just seen guys with this whole skill set that just could, didn't didn't have it. Yeah, and I appreciate the consistency there, and that's why we're here as former players. We have we um, have one Hall of Fame appearance and one championship combined, so we're very capable to talk about this. And I'm glad that Bull Bull has a familiar NBA name, and it's only three letters. Because otherwise, Paul wouldn't even know his name right now. Paul would not <laughs> know his name. And no, I follow, not I know follow, his follow, name. follow him in high school and college. I actually followed him. <laughs> okay. Um, here's what I must think about the this and Tom Baker, too. So, yeah. Yeah. You know, well so, said. You know I'm not going to just jump on it too fast. I believe that what the Nuggets are doing and Paul kind of touched on it earlier. You build out so much depth to try to actually figure out who are your main rotation players. And that's what Denver has done. Their roster, if if I'm going one through 15, I think, I don't want to speak too fast, but they they have to have a top three or four roster in the whole NBA. I'm just talking about for every player. They have Craig, they have so, so many players up front, um, and what you're trying to do is find who's going to be most compatible with the Joker. So you have a point center, Jacoby calls him a stretch mark five, that can initiate offense. So you could try a gimmick in the summer league. I think they were playing Washington or the Nets, one of the scrimmage teams in the bubble. And, yeah, you'll have, you know, five guys out there, 6'10", 6'11". But if Bow Bow can make an open shot and continue to guard the rim, he plumbly, um, Michael Porter Jr., all three of those guys, in particular Bow Bow and Michael Porter, if those two emerge, that takes the Nuggets to another level. Gary Harris didn't have the season you hope for him to have. And they don't have a consistent second all-star. So they're going to need Bobo's potential. And uh, like Paul said, I don't know if he's going to be that impact player in you know, for them to get them there this year. But I do like his promise, his height, his ability to make threes, protect the rim. And I thought he went too low in the draft anyway. Thanks, guys. Up next, we're going to have Liam McCann from the Big Lead, followed by Matt Langoni from the Lowell Sun. From the Big Lead. Oh, yes, sir. Hey, Paul. Hey, Jalen. Appreciate you guys taking the time here. Um, You know, in a normal year, you guys would be boots on the ground to do your analysis uh, for the NBA playoffs. You guys are at the games. You're all over the country. And obviously, this year, you're not going to be able to do that. How are you preparing to give your insights and analysis without the benefit of actually being there? And what are you going to miss most about having to do this remotely? Well, most of the time we do it from studio anyway until the playoffs. 
you know, so this is this is still familiar territory for us, you know, being able to sit down with a lot of monitors and analyze and watch the games. Uh, it's just different doing it from our homes or, or you know, in some cases, like Jalen will, will be in the studio a little more than me. So this is not uh, nothing new for me or Jalen. Uh, Unless you know it continues this way in the playoffs, that's what we usually got on the ground and in the finals. That's what I would miss most if we don't have an opportunity to be in that situation. Okay, we're going to go with Matt Lingo. If we didn't go to the finals. Finally, followed by Fago Franklin from Pro Player Insider. Hey, guys. Thanks for uh, taking the time today. Um, you, you touched on the, the Celtics a little bit earlier, but I'm just curious to know um, both of your perspectives of who you think is the biggest key player for them to make a run. Is it, is it Tatum? Is it Brown? I mean, you know, Kemba's the all-star, but do you look at one guy in particular that has to step up for them to really make a long run here? Ooh, what you think, Jay? I already know what I want to say, and I know Jay, you've been living on the <laughs> Exactly. I don't want to be accused as a homer. I got a lot to say about this, but I don't want to hear what you got to say. All right. So we kind of alluded to it earlier. This is going to be rec ball, and the guys that can have have the most players that can dribble, pass, and shoot, and score twenty points in a half or thirty-five points in a game. I have those teams at the best odds. That's why I like the Celtics and the Clippers if everybody's healthy. Those are the teams that I like. Um, but I know that Gordon Hayward and Kimball Walker have dealt with some injury issues. So if one of them and or both of them are hobbled, they won't get it done. Now, both of them are healthy. I think the key player is the guy that we were watching the basketball game and even though there's no cheering in the press box, Jason Tatum crosses over um, Paul George and makes a huge three-pointer. And somebody that has his number hanging in the Raptors was really excited about that shot. So I think that's the answer to the question. Jason Tatum is essentially a superstar. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, you only win with superstars in this league. The common denominator, and I always say this to Jalen, so in the championship, number one ingredient, you got to have a top five player. You know, and, what, and there's like rare cases throughout history where that top five player wasn't in the finals. Now, Jason is starting to emerge, go ahead in that direction. Uh, but he has to be a key player, man. He, he was playing like a top five player before the shutdown. I mean, I've really seen him play. I've watched him closely since day one, and I've seen him. He looks like a whole different player now. He's going to be the key for them. If he can continue to play like that, where he was averaging like 28 points, shooting 40-plus from three, over 50 from the field, getting to the line, that's that player they need him to bleed if they, if they got any hopes at going to the finals. Now, is he a top five player today? No. But was he playing like one before the break? Yes, he was indeed. Hey, Paul, quick follow-up to that. Does any part of Tatum's game, offensive game in particular, remind you of yourself at all? Any, any things he does? Any 
um, you know, the way he kind of stays in kind of a, a, a rhythm the whole game, you know, he never seems to get too far ahead of himself. Does any of it remind him, uh, remind you of, of yourself? The one thing that he reminds me of is just how smooth he is with it. It's like, you know, it's he seems like it's effortless, you know, the way he plays the game, the way he gets to his spots and his pull-up jumper and the way, you know, he's starting to get to the basket. Now, he got a way yeah. to go to catch me on that. I, I, I got to the basket, and that's the next step for him is continue to attack, get to the line. You know, that's the one criticism I had of him. He didn't get to the line for his athleticism. I think he averaged like three free throws a game if he want to take right. that next step. But, you know, I think just the smoothest of his game, man. It just seems like he's never sweating out there. Right. Thanks, Tess. All right. When Taylor okay, goes vintage Paul Pierce, he's literally on the wing, live dribble, jab step, yeah. jab step, one or two dribble step back, jump shot. If, yeah. if somebody did, I'm pretty sure there's multiple videos of both of y'all doing that. That was your you, – unfortunately, I was on the wrong side of that shot way too many times. I, I know that move. Yeah, he, he. Okay, we're going to go with Diego Franklin from Pro Player Insiders, and then we're going to go back to Eric Walden from Salt Lake Tribune. Hey, how y'all doing, guys? Hey, what's up? Good, how are you? I'm hanging in there, man. Um, so do you think the Rockets could go deep in the playoffs without having a true center? I'll take it. Uh, yes. Um, really? It, but but it, but but it but it has to be a wild card situation. And here's what I mean: if they go against the Clippers at at full strength, and they go against the Lakers at full strength, they're going to need some size against those teams. LeBron James can't be bigger than every player on Houston. Plus, they still have Anthony Davis, Dwight Howard, and Kyle Kuzma. That you, you don't have a chance. And and the same thing with the Clippers: if they have Montrez. The Zubats and Morris, the, those those teams just have too many productive big bodies. But if they can avoid playing one of them, and then all of a sudden they end up in the conference finals playing against another team, given a, a, a complete different style at, with P.J. at 6'6", playing center, um, dribble pass and shoot, spread the floor out, it gives them, a, I guess, a haymaker's chance if James is leading the league in scoring and Russ is leading the playoffs and points in the paint like he was doing since January, that gives him a chance to do it. But it's not something that I'm anticipating or picking, but if somebody's going to up in the Lakers or the Clippers, I would pick Houston next. Yeah, I mean, that's about right. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that. I mean, when I'm looking down the list, Houston has to be third on the list. Um, going back to my ingredients, they got two players that are one definitely top five player, one top ten player, and you can throw whichever one you want in that based on where they played this year. So, uh, but they need they need a big man, I believe, especially when you have to go against the lights of Anthony Davis. But I think they need a big man if they have to see Denver Nuggets first round. I mean, Joker, if the 
who's on guard Joker? He's a problem. He's a guy who initiates their offense. This is a team that can get to the conference finals, and this is a team that can lose in the first round also. Okay. And my, um, my next question is, um, as well as last, is what are your sleeper teams? Who do you think is going to surprise people um, to get further deep in the playoffs? Unfortunately, this is the NBA. There's no surprise. We rarely see surprise. And I don't see it happening in, in the, definitely not in the Western Conference. But if you're going to have a surprise team that nobody's talking about, it's the defending champs, Toronto Raptors, who are correct. Yes. Number, that's exactly. Toronto make it to the conference finals. That's a surprise without Kawhi. Yeah. Yeah, because I didn't even see them being where they at right now at this point. So that's the biggest surprise of the whole season. And they they can still make the finals with that squad. Got you. Thank you, guys. We're going to go with Eric Walden from the Great Lake Tribune, followed by Gary Washburn from the Boston Globe. Hi, guys. Thank you uh, for taking the time. I got uh, two questions for you. One uh, given kind of the, the documented friction that there's been between Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert as a result of this COVID-19 situation, what are you going to be looking for from them on the court to kind of see, you know, how their relationship is, how well they're getting along? And second, with the uh, Boyan Bogdanovich injury, how much does that limit their chances to accomplish anything? And, and what's their pathway forward? to account for his absence. No, no, no replacing Bogdanovich. So underrated, 20-point score. He's actually a go-to kind of guy. You can get a ball too late. He's fearless. Finishes going to the basket. He got game. That was probably one of the underrated pickups in the offseason for me last year. Um, so so that's going to limit Utah, period. So if, if they want a playoff series, in my opinion, um, I, I wouldn't be surprised, but if they did win two, I would be. And as it relates to um, the relationship between Mitchell and Gobert, I think it will be fine because they, they understand what's at stake. What I would like to see from Donovan Mitchell is what I saw from Jason Tatum. Um, they they both had um, really good first years, um, and Jason Tatum continued to ascend. It seemed like Donovan Mitchell had more peaks and valleys this year. And for Gobert, one of the, if not the best rim protector in the game and rebounders and stuff like that, I think it's going to be important for him to focus on being a finisher and not necessarily on post-up plays and things like that and just um, compete with energy, but Utah doesn't have much expectations. And if they if they win two playoff series, they would surprise everybody just by doing that. <laughs> me, it's just me like you know, I'm not really looking for nothing because players can always they don't have to be friends off the court. They can you know basketball, do anything about sports and bring it together. You can you can never tell who likes or dislikes anybody on the court. Uh, uh, most of the time, and so the Utah is is a, a tricky team for me. 
I feel like they're a treadmill team. I don't I don't see the upside in this squad, uh, especially with no Bondanovich. And Gobert really don't really – I mean, he's an impact player. He just like, – he don't do enough for me. You know, he, he's not the modern-day big man that you need, I feel like, that you need to compete for a championship. You know, like a, a Porzingis or a Towns or an Embiid or a Jokic. You know, he's more of a traditional Kende Matumbo, Lago Morning type player. So, um, they just they – I'd be surprised if they got out of the first round. Year. I mean, there's just something about them that's just not right. I don't, I don't know what it is. I can't put my finger on it, but this just don't have enough. I, and uh, just one follow-up question, if I could. Obviously, it took quite a while for Mike Conley to kind of find his fit with his team. How do you evaluate that move now, looking back on it? Uh, do you, do you see him as someone who can? You know, if, if he gets back to playing the way he did in Memphis, if they give him more responsibilities, that could help. Or, or do you think that the fit just turned out to not be right? I, I really don't think it's a good fit. I think Utah is at their best when Donovan Mitchell has the ball in his hands. I mean, he showed me that in the playoffs. He showed me that when Conley wasn't wasn't out there. He's best when he's making the plays. He's already an undersized wingman. You know, so he, he reminds me a lot of Dwayne Wade. When Dwayne Wade, the year they went to the finals, went to the point guard position, and that's that's going to make him more dynamic because he's going to be bigger, more athletic than 99% of the point guards at that spot. So I, I think he's better at the position. I just don't think Mike Conley is a great fit. Yeah, but and see, what, what happens with a guy like Donovan Mitchell, he plays bigger than he is. And so – he looks a lot like Dwayne Wade as he moves, but the difference is Dwayne Wade is six four, and I don't believe he's six two. And and based on what Paul says, now you have Mitchell and Conley. If if, if they're not going to be a blur out there, and you know both try to average twenty to twenty five points, then that'll be too small defensively in a lot of ways too. And lastly. Donovan Mitchell is definitely better with the ball in his hand, while Conley's also better with the ball in his hand. So it's going to be interesting to see how that dynamic plays out. And, uh, you know, it won't play out with, with a parade happening in Utah, unfortunately. All right, thank you, guys. Okay, next we're going to have Gary Washburn from the Boston Globe, followed by David Barron from the Houston Chronicle. Gary, what's up, man? Still out of Boston, huh? Yeah, I'm still out of here. Uh, I'm surprised you're not down at the bubble. You're not in the bubble? I'm in the bubble. I'm in the bubble. Oh, you are? Oh, okay. I should have known. Paul, with Jalen Brown having signed the station, Jason about to get maxed, and you haven't spent so long in Boston, what? How has the perception of playing in Boston changed for younger players? Um, now players want to play there. Uh, they want to resign. They like the culture. What, is, what has changed about that over since you've obviously started there and finished there in over a few years, last few years? I mean, I think players, when they get there, um, you know, they just – 
I think ownership is great. You know, they've created a culture uh, since as long as I can remember to where just basketball is everything there. And people on the outside looking in, and this goes back to when I, when I, when I left and I started seeing guys play there from Isaiah Thomas to, uh, you know, now Kimball Walker and these guys, they was like, they didn't know how the culture was in Boston. It's just like, the fanatics, the sports town, the 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 management, the practice facility, and people think there's nothing to do in Boston, <laughs> but they built that city up, man, and it's just a whole lot different now than it was when I was there. And people actually enjoy the city. When you go around the NBA, you look at different NBA cities, and you know where guys want to play, and just the environment, the the practice facility, the the arena. I mean, players fall in love with that, man. Uh, you know, players want to be part of tradition, you know, and I think that's something that they fall in love with when they get there and they engulf themselves in it, you know, especially, you know, with these guys there now, you know, when you're in an environment, it's easier when you're in an environment, you have a great young coach, you have a great general manager, the, the owners, and, and then your guys are winning, you know, winning creates culture. I mean, let's just be honest. I mean, people wouldn't be trying to, fly into Boston and become sign as free agents or re-sign max deals if you aren't winning, you know, so winning creates the culture. And ever since those guys been there, they've been talked about as a contender and it makes it easier, uh, you know, no matter where you at, you know, and especially in Boston when you win, man, I mean, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just being all honest with you, you know, since Jason Taylor's rookie year, these guys have been one of the top teams in the Eastern conference. And, and it's been fun to watch. And so it's, it's a lot easier when you win. And we'll follow up for both you guys. Because when I was there, I, uh, when we was losing, uh, man, I had a lot of doubts about Boston in the early years. Shoot. <laughs> 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 one more, one more follow-up. Um, what, what should guys do in terms of trying to get their social messages out down here in the bubble? Um, and what what should the NBA do? I mean, and are you guys pleased with what has been set up so far? Uh, so for me, the NBA represents corporate America, and I'm pretty sure each of us during this period has looked down at our phones over the last 90 days and seen a lot of the corporations that we're affiliated with or work for and talk about how they need to um, monitor their diversity and be more inclusive with people of color. And so now how do you carry that out? For the NBA, one thing I appreciate and the players appreciate is at least working for a corporation that seems like it's trying to work in your best interest, not work against it. Whether it's put Black Lives Matter on the court, um, select um, things on the back of jerseys, allowing players to express themselves at the um, podium like you saw with Tobias Harris and his Breonna Taylor answers. And I'm pretty sure you're going to see a lot of players um, getting together, doing social media clips and videos and whatnot. So I think that's going to continue to improve. But ultimately, the game-changing agent in all of these scenarios, as we talk about systemic inequality, happens from the top down and true change is going to happen with power when the ownership group
presidents, general managers, when that group looks a lot more diverse, when the contractors and the people that the, ES, um, the NBA does business with, when that group becomes a lot more diverse. Those are the real changes that I hope that players continue to drive the narrative to uh, create the opportunities uh, within the NBA. Yeah, the problem is with the message, the message is always going to be out there. It's about just seeing what changes are going to be made. You know, I got excited the other day when I, uh, I don't know, yesterday when I saw that Kevin Garnett was part of an ownership group to get the Minnesota Timberwolves. Wouldn't that be great to see Kevin Garnett part of an ownership group? You know, I think that we need to see more of that. When we start seeing changes and more of that, then <laughs> I think, you know, our message will be felt. But the, the getting the message ain't, is not the hard part. It's about acting on it, you know, and, and like what Jaden said. And, and, you know, when I see more general managers, more uh, minority general managers and black uh, coaches, then we know that uh, things are turning, turning for the good. Thank you. Okay, we're going to have David Barron from the Houston Chronicle up with the Jarrell Heathcliff from the Sports Podcast on deck. Thank you. I'm calling it a bit late, so please excuse me if this isn't that word. But the, the Rockets entered the uh, ended the uh, the season losing four or five, so they're not exactly coming into this. Uh, into this restart on something of a row. I'm curious what you think about uh, the Rockets' uh, prospects as the season resumes. And to what degree do you think that the level of play or sort of the dynamic of play that we've seen this season will be replicated or duplicated once the game's restarted? Do you think we'll see sort of a – will this be sort of a different season, do you think, from the season we thought – for the season that we saw before the, uh, the stoppage of play? Well, I think it's going to take a minute for guys to get back in shape, get back into a rhythm. Um, So at the beginning, you know, I think, uh, you know, we're not going to see the brand of basketball that we saw coming down the stretch uh, before the work stoppage. But I think as uh, time goes on, I mean, the cream of the crop is going to rise. I mean, that's always with the NBA. So, you know, as far as, as the Rockets, can they get back to where they were? Uh, where When they first went small and they started off one four, four out of the first five? Um, I, I don't know. But I look at the Rocket, Rockets sort of like I look at, like, if I want to put it in the boxing terms, they like Buster Douglas. You know, he beat Mike Tyson. Yeah, you know, he had a puncher's chance. But then... You know, he didn't hold that title too long. I think they got a puncher's chance, man. Am I confident in them to go far in the playoffs? I don't know. They just ain't shown me the consistency all year long. And and as a proven that that style of play, the way they play, has worked over the years. And so, um, not so much. I'm not that confident in the Rockets as far as, you know, going too far in the playoffs or, or making any real noise. I agree, Paul. If there's a wild card, it is the Rockets, and you will win four out of five and or lose four out of five when you're right. so very perimeter-oriented the way they are. And that's why, for example, when they missed 27 straight threes 
against the Warriors, that was their chance to, you know, advance in the playoffs. So being that team when no shots are falling, they have a chance to compete with anybody. But on a normal um, lineup going against these tall teams, and I mentioned Lakers and Clippers, and Paul reminded me of Denver with the Joker. I mean, there's just so many squads and big bodies. They've got to definitely be shooting lights out to have a chance. That puncher's chance he was talking about. Thank you, gentlemen. Okay, we have Jarrell Heathlip up with Jason hey. Gallishaw from Pro Player Insiders on deck. Hey, Jalen Rose, Paul Pierce, how are you guys doing? Uh, this is Jarrell Heslip from um, Jarrell's Journal. You kind of already answered my question. I just wanted to get you guys' views on players uh, using their platforms to address social uh, injustice and uh, the effect it will have on media trying to get content from players' views after the games. I think it's important um, for NBA players to use their platform because they represent a powerful conglomerate. Um, it's it's the opposite of what it's it's the opposite of the battle that Bubba Wallace is going to have to take on for the next X amount of years. You know the league is seventy percent black. The, the players are extremely powerful and visible, and so it's really important to use that platform and use that voice for social and political change when you can. And I think the players have and will continue to do a good job of it. Thank you, thank you. Okay, we are going to go with Jason Gallishaw from Pro Player Insiders. Hey, how's it going, everyone? Good. Good. Uh, Jarrell, basically, you hit the question on the head. I was going to ask, what type of changes in terms of diversity representation are you guys looking to see as the NBA restarts? More diversity in the contract. More diversity in the contractors that the league deals with. Um, more diversity in positions of power uh, yeah. within the team. More exposure to jobs within the team. That so many people that uh, look like me and Paul watch the game and say they want to do what we do for a living. But Paul Pierce is six foot eight. But guess what? The Boston Celtics also have hundreds of other people they employ to do other things, to expose them to those jobs. I think those are the kind of um, systemic changes that the players in the NBA can work towards um, being a leader in that area. You know, but this goes beyond the NBA. You know, and this is this is stuff that we shouldn't even be talking about with the NBA in a predominantly, predominantly black league, you know, in positions – Having position power. This is just something that needs to be going on around the United States of America. You know, I can't. You know, when I go into Apple, I want. You know, I never seen a black store manager in Apple. Like, you know, I'm just. I want to see this change not only in sports but in the in the business world too. I mean, I think we got people just as capable of doing anything. I mean. And that's what the fight that we're fighting. You know, it's not just with sports, but it's just around around America, around the world. You know, we just, you know, we just tired. I'm, I want to see more black people in the positions of power. That's that's capable, though. 
you know, Josh, not just to say, you know, we did it. No, it's many that's capable of doing it, just don't have the opportunity. And I, saw, and I just hope that this message gets across, you know, with the players using this platform and their powerful voice to to promote this change. And they're, and they're doing a great job of it. Thank you. Okay. Thank you, Jalen. Thank you, Paul. That completes our ESPN NBA media conference call for today. We will have a transcript to go around um, later on this afternoon. And, again, we will send out shortly um, our plans for game coverage for the remainder of the regular NBA season. Thank you all for joining us. Again, thank you for your time. And I got one reason to make sure you guys watch, love, and promote the show. Paul Pierce has made more game winners than Michael Jordan. <laughs> that's my man. My dog. People don't know that. See, that's what I'm saying. I'll be like, my dog. <laughs> Thank you guys so much. Have a good one. Uh,